welcome to the Sports and Stilettos podcast. Hello, everybody. I hope everybody is still staying safe and healthy during this quarantine time. I hope everybody is still staying home. Let's continue to fight this. Hopefully for the next hour, I can cure your boredom a little bit as we talk with Morgan Uber, the Big 12 digital correspondent. Morgan has had an incredible career in college. She actually worked for a professional team and then switched to the collegiate level after taking a hiatus for a little bit. She also talks to us about her first couple of months working for the Big 12. And Morgan and I have a lot of similar connections, which have helped us get to this point in our careers now. We talk about all of that in the next hour. I hope you enjoy this episode. Here's Morgan Uber. Morgan, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. I want to check on with you with quarantine, how you're doing, how your family's doing. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, we're all good. I'm actually in Dallas, Texas with my parents and brother living with them right now. And we are all doing well. You know, we're staying positive and, and optimistic and everyone's healthy in our household. But, you know, it's it's been a crazy time. And, you know, how are you and, and how's your family? Good. Yeah, everyone is healthy, luckily. Um, I feel very fortunate. I know some friends that have family members that have been sick, so my heart goes out to all of them, too. And hopefully, we're just kind of, this will be the peak. I know we were kind of talking about before the call that hopefully this is our peak week, and then it just goes downhill a little bit, and we can hopefully get back to normal in a couple of months. But it's just been almost overwhelming and trying to figure out things to do and I know content wise for both you and I obviously we're used to being in studios and talking to athletes and coaches so what have you been doing for the big 12 now with being at home right I mean I think it's so interesting during this time it's an opportunity to exercise some creativity but also you know being respectful to kind of the, you know, uh, dynamic in, in this unfortunate time in our world. Uh, so at first it was kind of, you know, really we were a little bit quiet that first week after, um, you know, the tournaments were canceled and all of that. But, you know, lately it's been trying to find some sort of routine. Um, we, we launched a content series kind of you know, putting out some big names that we think will get drafted here in this virtual NFL draft in just a couple of weeks. So we've been going school by school, posting some highlights. Um, and then, you know, this past weekend would have been the final four. So we did a little bit around basketball, show, showcasing some of the big final four memories on our Twitter and Facebook. Um, and then now, it's with the NCAA ruling officially coming out last Monday on, you know, these spring sports seniors having an extra year of eligibility. Uh, we're now able to kind of coordinate some interviews with those student athletes. Um, however, it's, you know, that's also an interesting situation because really it's going to come down to those institutions and how much aid that they can give those student athletes. That'll 100% be, you know, determined by those individual institutions. So these seniors may or may not get some of that aid that they've been receiving in the past. So it's it's not even certain exactly who's going to come back. So that's also been, you know, kind of, it's been a lot of behind the scenes stuff really going on, um, you know, for me right now in comparison to uh, what I've been doing. But I actually set up a big 12 step and repeat in my parents' living room. So big thank you to them. So um, I kind of have my new little home studio launched and ready to go for when we're able to start doing some of those interviews. 
thank goodness for mom and dads, right? Like (laughs) we can completely just take over their house and be like, sorry, mom and dad, like, love you. Thank you. They've been all for it. And it's, it's, you know, with four of us working in the house right now, um, it's been, you know, we have to kind of coordinate conference calls and, and coordinate, um, you know, different people's schedules. So I think, you know, a lot of this time has been learning to be patient with one another, which, uh, you know, I think is an important thing that we can all really take from this. I think patience is going to be a big thing. And I think even being in like the house, but also just life too, I feel like I'm learning so much about being patient and just like being in the moment and trying not to get anxiety. Because when you kind of think about it, like we don't know when this could possibly end. Like I don't want to be a negative, but this could be only the beginning, right? Right, China right now seeing like a bounce back, like are we going to have that too? So I think trying to be staying in the moment and being patient and just – remaining calm during all of this is very good and definitely something I'm working on constantly uh it's just it's been a crazy time and so overwhelming but also everybody's in it together so I feel like there's that bit of togetherness yeah I mean I think you know we talk about you know different ways to to kind of calm that anxiety and for me it's been you know trying to find some sort of routine so you know during my week you know Monday through Friday I'm still waking up at an early time, not necessarily the 5 a.m.s that I was doing, you know, before all of this hit, but, you know, I'm waking up early to still get in some sort of exercise before I sit down and start my day at 8.45. And then, you know, I've been bookending my day with cooking dinner in the kitchen with my mom every night. So, you know, I think finding some sort of routine, um, you know, during this time has helped me. And, and, you know, I'm sure people have heard that time and time again. But if, even if it's just one or two things that you're doing, you know, every day, uh, I think that's been what's helped me the most. First of all, you get up at 5 a.m. when you work regularly, like in Normally, studio? Normally, yes. Morgan, I, how? <laughs> I, well, my whole house does. So I, I really don't have, you know, they're all up and at them at the gym. We all go to the same gym, uh, my parents and brother. So, We are morning people, I guess. I like to get my workout in, you know, before before the rest of my day sort of takes over. Um, And I I like, you know, in sports we work late, so sometimes I'm not getting home until six thirty, seven, eight o'clock. Or if I'm working a game, you know, it could be midnight. Um, So trying to knock it out in the morning is always, uh, you know, the best practice for me. I know everyone has, you know, their different ways of doing things, but I like I like the early morning workouts for sure. First of all, that is so impressive. I am not a morning workout person at all. I remember being in high school and trying to do workouts in the morning, and I was like, oh, my gosh. So major props to you there. Uh, You said you were cooking with your mom, though. Have you learned any good recipes that you'll hopefully just, like, carry on with you? Yeah. I mean, I think we've done, you know, a lot of sheet pan-type recipes. I've looked up uh, a whole bunch of Trader Joe's. So we have, you know, a few Trader Joe's around us, and we're a big – Trader Joe's Advocate family, I think they have a lot of great recipes they've been sharing. So we've done some sheet pan recipes. We've done um, a lot of Mexican, so different fajitas. And trying to stay pretty healthy, but also, you know, just, uh, you know, a balanced diet, not worrying too much about counting those calories these days and really just, you know, and enjoying, uh, you know, all of the time together. And I feel fortunate to you know, be with my family right now, having lived, you know, 2000 miles from them, you know, three and a half years when I was living up in the Northeast. Uh, I've really only been at home for about four months now. 
back in Dallas. So it's, you know, for me, it's I'm, I'm taking advantage and really loving this time with my family. Let's talk about your job with the Patriot League being up in the Northeast. I've never been up there personally. So what is the atmosphere like for sports? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot different, right? Like growing up being a Texas native where football is basically everything. Um, don't get me wrong. They have big football up there. But I think, you know, up in the Northeast, it is lacrosse. Lacrosse is the number one. I mean, you see it um, at the youth level and then all the way up through college, obviously, the Patriot League. It was one of our premier sports. Um, so Loyola, Maryland, you know, they were national champions uh, actually right before they joined the Patriot League in 2000, in like 2012, 2013 in that time frame. Um, so lacrosse was, I actually played it in high school, so it is decently big around the Dallas area, but nothing like it is up there. Uh, and then Patriot League is FCS football. So it's not, you know, your typical, what you think of, um, you know, what I'm covering now, your Oklahoma, your Texas, your Iowa state, you know, those big, big stadiums, but it was so much fun to travel to those college towns and, you know, every one of them was so unique and different. And I found my favorite spots in town that I would always go to, you know, the Friday night before a game and, and get dinner. And I got into these routines, especially, you know, with our TV crew, we had our favorite spots when we would travel. Um, but, you know, you also had to plan accordingly for winter travel, which I know you're used to out in Colorado. But for me, that was kind of a new territory. Um, so sometimes I'd have to take a road trip uh, I'd have to leave a couple days beforehand to get up there for a basketball game up to Holy Cross, which was about a four and a half hour drive. And uh, I might have to wait out the storm and, and stay an extra night in a hotel. So uh, you had to be flexibility. You had to have that flexibility with, with your travel for sure. But um, yeah, I was there for three and a half years and enjoyed every second of it. And so much of you know what I did there prepared me for now what I'm doing at the Big 12. You did a lot of sidelines with Stadium up for the Patriot League. What was your craziest game that you did? Ooh, that's a good one. Craziest game that I did. Um, I would say, you know, I really loved going to Hamilton, New York, um, which is where Colgate University was and covering their football, their football team. Um, you know, they had won back-to-back -back Patriot League champions um, two of the years that I was there. Uh, and they had a lot of good games. I'm trying to think, like, pinpoint one that really stands out. I would just say, you know, really any time that I worked a game there, it was – they had such a unique fan base. I mean, it was a tiny town of Hamilton, New York. I mean, it was considered a village because it wasn't even big enough to really be considered a city. Um, but just the amount of people that would come out, I mean, it was parents that would come watch, you know, their sons from all over the country. Uh, so, you know, it wasn't not necessarily one crazy game that stands out in my mind, but I think it's, you know, those environments. Um, also, too, with, with uh, Colgate, you know, they hosted the a Patriot League basketball championship game last year against Bucknell. That was, you know, one of that was my last basketball championship with the Patriot League. And that was a crazy game. Anytime Bucknell and Colgate played each other in men's basketball, that you knew, you just knew that that was going to be a good game. So there were a couple of those during my time. Um, so I did a lot of basketball and football sidelines with Stadium. 
um, you know, for, for three seasons. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to think back to my very first game with them and all that I learned and, you know, working with, you know, I had the same play-by-play guy for most of those games over the three years, Matt Martucci, who taught me so much, and Dave Owens, uh, our color analyst, and I still keep in touch with those guys and, you know, really owe a lot of, you know, where I am at and, and what I can do now because of what I learned from them. You know, obviously, the post-game interview is a beast. And when you're first coming out of college and you're getting new jobs, you are like, I need to have the best questions. When you are lining up questions in your head for post game, how do you kind of let them flow? That's a great question. And I think that's something that no one really teaches you in school. It's something you kind of learn either by doing or after the fact, working with great mentors like Jill Montgomery, who we both work with. And we incredible can woman. Dive into more of her later. But specifically to your post game interview question, I think always looking at that turning point in the game, the big moment, um, you know, the big play, obviously a buzzer beater game. Sure. You're going to ask about that last moment, but you know, in a football game, if it was, you know, a third quarter, fourth and one defensive stop, you know, that's a great opportunity to ask a question. If that, you know, completely turned things around and gave some momentum to the offense. So I think it's always looking at, you know, specifically going micro finding that one moment in the game and then kind of going big picture so always starting kind of with your x's and o's type questions first and then working out and into your more fluff sort of questions at the end that's and I think it's all you know it's repetition it really is and in finding your voice as a reporter now that you've been doing this for a few years, do you find yourself still getting nervous or have you kind of figured it out, gotten in your groove, and now you're just able to do your job without having to worry? Yeah, I think when I am doing a game every week like I was at the Patriot League, I really was able to get into a routine and the nerves, you know, by week three kind of had settled for me. Uh, but, you know, now I'm, I just did our indoor track and field championship about a month ago. And I hadn't really done a live broadcast like that in a couple of months. So there were a little bit of nerves in probably the first, you know, 10 minutes or so of the broadcast. But once you settle in, you know, for me, I think I've gotten to that point in my career. I've had enough reps. I've had enough practice. I've had enough, you know, learning through different mentors that I've really become confident and found my voice and the nerves go away at that point. We talked a little bit about Jill, and one of the major things Jill has pounded into my head is no yes or no questions. I'm sure she did the same for you, too. Yes. How do you um, – sometimes you, I feel like you have to ask a yes or no question, but it's figuring out a way to change the question so that it's not really yes or no, right? Right, exactly. How so, do you go about doing that? So I actually, it's funny, I have my Jill Montgomery Four Leaf Productions Bible sitting right here in my little makeshift office at home right in front of me uh, that I refer to, you know, all the time. And I think, you know, it's literally been so ingrained. I've worked with her now for almost two years, and it's so ingrained in my head to not ask the yes or no question that for me, I don't even have to think about it anymore. But really, I think it's just going back to the basic of what is a question? A question is who, what, when, where, why, and how. So 
you know, beginning every single question that you ask with those words will get you out of that sort of yes or no predicament of wanting to ask that yes or no question. So uh, that's, you know, every time that I'm writing a script, whether it's an interview, typically it's the interviews that I'm doing in studio. If I'm doing a sideline game, I don't have enough time to write out that at the top of my paper, but I still will start my scripts in studio if I'm interviewing. You know, I had Scott Drew on a few weeks ago, Baylor head coach, and before I wrote out my questions for him, I wrote, you know, those six words at the top of my paper to help me formulate good questions around those words. It's for Jill is incredible. First of all, if you are somebody who is in sports broadcasting, definitely reach out to her because she has helped me tremendously. Another There's woman. No one, oh, oh, go ahead. No, go for it. I was going to say, I mean, it's, you need that constructive criticism in this industry. And, you know, I think there are very few people that are going to give it to you, especially when you're first starting out. Uh, you know, I think now even my mom has, has kind of become this second coach on me and, and has, you know, really been able to pick out um, some things. But I think Jill, especially, it's putting your feelings aside and just being able to take it uh, has made me so much better. And I'm sure that all of her clients w- would say the exact same thing. I'm sure you've had a similar experience in that tough love that she gives us. It's tough love, but you also know that it's love. Like she right. cares so much and she wants you to do well. That's why she's so hard on you, which like you kind of mentioned, you can't always find that in this industry. A lot of people won't give you criticism. They'll be like, oh, you need to work on this or this. And I feel like for the first couple of years of my career, I wasn't really getting any better because nobody was like, they were telling me little things. So I would change that, but they weren't telling me the big things that I needed to work on. Right. A hundred percent. And in order to get better, I think sometimes you do have to hear it from other people because that's the only way to kind of get outside of, of your own head and improve. And continuing education in this industry after you've graduated is just as key as you know, the learning that you've done inside the classroom, I think. That's so true. And I think you never stop learning in this job. Yes, that's why I love it. I mean, that's why every day, you know, challenge yourself to learn something new. That's what I have a post-it note uh, that I I tell myself. I read that every morning when I get up. And it's something that I've sort of lived by even really before I had graduated from college. Another person we both know in the industry that kind of helped us get into this is Laura Oakman. Yes. And she is another, she runs Galvanize. She helps a lot of women who are just kind of getting their start into the industry. Um, What boot camp did you do, Morgan? So I did the uh, Falcons boot camp and it was two years ago down in Atlanta, Flowery Branch, Georgia, um, you know, with the Falcons, interviewed Dan Quinn and, you know, we had our rookies And the sisterhood, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well, the sisterhood that was created through that experience, through that boot camp, I mean, I still keep in touch with so many of those young women, and it's been so much fun now that we're a couple years removed from the boot camp that I did, just to see everyone's journeys and stories and where people are now in this industry. I think, you know, so many of the women that I was with are are now in new jobs and new roles, and it's been so much fun to just see other women grow. And when you can kind of take out that competition factor and viewing other women as your competition, but rather replacing it with kind of being a support system and being cheerleaders for one another, I think that's when you've really risen to that next level uh, in the industry. 
because, and I think Laura has, has said this in all of her boot camps, but, you know, there's enough jobs out there for all of us, you know, to be able to get with this digital space and being able to root for the other women in this industry. I mean, that's a really, you know, beautiful and powerful thing. First of all, it's so funny you went down to Atlanta uh, because that's where I did mine too. But oh, I think nice. I did mine three years and I guess it's outside of Atlanta. But yeah, I did mine with the Falcons too. And it was three, maybe even four years ago now. Wow. So you were Gosh. like one of the first, I mean, right? Was that yeah. kind of the first go around? Gosh, I'm trying to think. Were you, well, no, you talked to Dan Quinn, huh? Yes. I was going to say, because I did it before they did it with like players. Because now okay. they match players together yes. with the uh, so reporters. I was probably one of the first groups then to do uh, the rookie. The, okay, so you players. did have a rookie one. I did. I okay. did. Yes. Yeah, so I think they did that the year after I went. Okay. Yeah, Gosh. I mean, it's it was so much fun to not only hear, like, all the other women's stories in the room, but, you know, hearing the players share their stories. And it just, it really just, you know, links everyone that, in the room that everyone has these unique stories. Everyone has come from somewhere. Everyone's faced some sort of adversity to get where they are. And, you know, you just really felt this strong emotion in the room when we were doing it with the players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely been one of my highlights in this career in terms of just connecting with, you know, not only Laura, who's like literally, you know, a, a goat in this industry for sideline reporters. She's one of the best women to look up to in the industry, but just the other, you know, young women in the room that so many of us are, you know, on the same page and fighting through the same sorts of issues. And we still have our group me. I don't, do you guys still communicate in your group text? Uh, I don't think so. Gosh, I'm trying to think. I know I was, I helped out a little bit last summer, um, okay. like setting up boot camps, but, and I'm still a part of one of those group me's, but I don't think of the one that I did three or four years ago. Okay. Gosh, I'm trying yeah. to think. I can't remember. <laughs> I feel like I'm getting old, Morgan. I know. I feel you. <laughs> but one of the things that Laura says that stuck in both of our heads is reach out to someone 10 times, but only ask them for something once. Mm -hmm. When if you're I... trying to, I guess, when you look at that statement, you're like, okay, I don't want to bother anyone though. Like, I'm sure they really don't want to talk to me. At least that's how I thought in my head. When you're reaching out to somebody not to ask them something, what are you reaching out to them for, Morgan? Well, you know, I think I, I think about a couple of the mentors that I have in the industry who I've gotten to really know on a personal level over the past few years. And, you know, for example, one of um, a producer at ESPN who I've gotten to be close with, his wife had had a baby. And so I reach out to him all the time and I'm asking about, you know, his new baby and in their family and how they're doing, you know, also during this time, I'm asking just how people are doing. I mean, if anything, this is a great time to be really connecting and just reaching out to people. Um, because, you know, the simple question, I think is just how are you? But I, I think, you know, it, it's just getting to know people on a deeper level than just what they do for work and, and finding out what they're passionate about and what their hobbies are and making those little connections and picking up on things and remembering them uh, and just small talk. I think, you know, because listening is such an important part of what we do as reporters and broadcasters, if you can remember a few little personal things about someone and tie it into an email before 
you're asking them for something, you know, that just, it goes a long way. I think it's, it's a lot harder said than done. And I am by no means perfect at it, but I definitely try and live by that. You know, I, I don't, I think early on women and even young men too, reporters will send their reels out and wanting, you know, different critiques um, and wanting to hear from people. But I think before people send out their reel for a critique, you should just pick up the phone and maybe just get to know that person before you're asking them to spend 10 or 15 minutes doing you a favor. So I think that's probably, you know, if you can even just do it five times before you ask for something, I think uh, that's a good, good place to start. That's very true. <laughs> and I think too, even if you do send off your real, you and I both feel this way that we are very lucky to be in the positions we are. We have jobs, we have jobs that we love and we get to be in sports. But we've also had a lot of no's in our careers, and I don't think people always acknowledge that. Would you say that's an accurate statement? Oh, yes. I mean, I think the, the no's are an important time of building character, if you will, and almost bringing you back down and humbling yourself that, hey, you know, maybe you do have a long way to go, and, and this really is a journey, and it's it's not a race. And there are, you know, you're getting those no's for a reason, maybe you know, you just aren't the right fit for that position. And I think sometimes like don't, people can't take it personally, but also you have to get that experience. And I, I get it's frustrating when you're first starting out because you just want someone to give you that first yes. But I think when you get that first yes, it's so important to take complete advantage and just dedicate everything you have to that position. Because, you know, there were probably anywhere from 50 to you know, 150 applicants or more that applied for that position. Um, so just, I think I've found myself, you know, in my job with the Patriot League, in my job here at the Big 12, just realizing how fortunate I am to be in this position and every day waking up and dedicating myself to it, knowing that I'm very privileged and lucky to be where I am, but only lucky because I've put in that hard work, uh, you know, that, that comes from experience. Very true. However, you almost have a different kind of story from when you graduated from Mizzou. You went straight to Fox Sports Midwest and covered the Royals, a professional team, and then you had a, like a little bit of a hiatus trying to find a job. Yes. So it was my spring semester. I was a senior at Missouri, and I think this is another good lesson for people who this story was, you know, we had received a email from our news director at KOMU, which is the NBC affiliate in Columbia, where we worked as students, as real life reporters. And that email said, we're looking for someone to collect sound in the Royals clubhouse for the 2015 season. And I think, you know, he blasted that out to our entire senior sports class. And I think I was literally the only person to apply and respond back saying, I'm interested. Because when you think of collecting sound, I think people thought it was going to be a 100% behind the scenes type job, just shooting, holding a microphone, working the mic, and, you know, no on-air reporter experience. Well, because I had just inquired a little bit more, they had invited me to St. Louis, which is where Fox Sports Midwest is based, for an interview. I ended up getting the job and I started opening day. So it was April of my senior year. I still had two months of 
you know, classes and I was still a full-time student while also working this full-time job. And by the end of the season, I had actually turned into more of a reporter getting reports from the clubhouse in the post-game show that I would give because I was the only one from Fox Sports Midwest that was in there. We had our um, pre- and post-game hosts that were up on the desk that were in the outfield, but I was really the eyes and ears in the clubhouse. So it was an incredible experience. Obviously, that was the year the Royals went on to win the World Series, so I was a part of the amazing parade in Kansas City, which is a, you know, that's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So really what turned out to be, you know, a situation, no one really else had applied for it, didn't really know what the job was. I think my piece of advice would be apply for everything, apply for every job out there because you never know what it can turn into. But I think my more important lesson too also comes from after the fact, after, you know, that magical season, that dream job ended for me, they you know, it was a one-year contract that I had signed and they decided the next year they were eliminating that position. So my contract was, you know, not renewed and I came back to Dallas and I lived with my parents. And in the meantime, you know, I had a pretty, what I thought was a solid reel from that season that I had sent out to some local television stations. I sent and, you know, really to everyone, whether they had jobs or not, was just trying to get some feelers out. And it was really hard for me to land that next job. I lived at home for about six months and I worked really random jobs. I was like a front desk assistant at a hot yoga studio. I was a front desk assistant at another workout gym. And it was kind of a reality check for me. Um, And really just through the process, I stayed really positive, although it was hard to at times. Um, But you know, looking back on that situation, it really just shows you that the job that you get is the job that you're meant to be in for a reason. And I waited it out. I waited till that right opportunity. And, you know, then the Patriot League job became available and I applied. And really that was another job of something that I, I turned it into a position that was different from that original job application. Um, and that original, you know, when they had read off the the duties and responsibilities, I was able to add a lot more to it than what they had originally intended for that position to be. First of all, how in the world did you manage a full-time job with a professional team and being a full-time student? Yeah, well, I I have to give a lot of credit and thanks to my professors um, during that time who were very understandable with me missing class. So I was only working home games for the Royals, but that's still, you know, 80 plus games that I was working. And so during that stretch, um, it was actually my college graduation coincided with one of the home games. And it was a series against the New York Yankees. And I was like, oh, of course, like, wow, what a, you know, great series that maybe I'm going to have to either miss my graduation or I'm going to have to miss, you know, these stretch of baseball games. So um, my boss at Fox Sports ended up letting me off and I was allowed to go to graduation, which I was very excited about. But it was tough. I was driving back and forth between Columbia and Kansas City. It's about two hours. So I would go and, um, you know, some days I'd have to, most days I'd get to the ballpark around three o'clock and then you know, most games weren't ending till 1030. So by the time our post game show was wrapped up, 
11.30 p.m. And then I was driving two hours back to Columbia and then, you know, going to my classes at 8 or 9 a.m. So it was a tough grind, uh, but it was only two months that I had to do that. And then I was able to move out to Kansas City and finish out the season actually living there, which was like a luxury to only have a 15-minute drive to the ballpark once I moved out there in mid-May. But it's, uh, you know, it took some, took some balance and, and also the understanding of my professors as well, which, yeah, very grateful for. You have a kind of a lot of history in Kansas City now with the Royals, obviously, and then being there for the Big 12 tournament and all of this coronavirus stuff went down. What was it like being in Kansas City and being at the arena and experiencing all of that? Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, 24, 48 hours that just went from, you know, what was we were taking every precaution possible uh, you know, to the tournaments ultimately being canceled. So we flew out there on Tuesday morning, and I remember on Tuesday it was it was bad enough at that time that I had brought my Lysol, I had brought some Clorox wipes, and I was wiping down you know the airplane trays and seats and all everything like that. And we got to Kansas City and got to the Sprint Center, and you know our first round games were on Wednesday. So those seven through 10 seeds were practicing on Tuesday. And, you know, they were putting a lot of restrictions in place of we had to be pretty far away from coaches that were being interviewed. So they would put them, you know, up on the media table. There were no one-on-one interviews allowed or anything like that. They were, you know, they had Sprint Center staff that were coming down and wiping down the chairs and the courts after, the after one team left the court so I mean it was there were a lot of precautions in place and at that time it was like you know wow like we're really doing everything possible and this is you know great you know everything's still going to be able to go on and then it was Wednesday when really everything hit and the NCAA had announced they were going to play you know the tournaments without fans and so then the Big 12 we also came forward and said, you know, our Thursday through Sunday games uh, were going to be played without fans. However, those first round games were Wednesday night, and we were making that announcement about 20 to 30 minutes before those games were being played. So there were already fans in the stands for those first round games. So, you know, those games went on as normal. Uh, It was very surreal though in the arena I mean it was not packed at all compared to you know what the big 12 championships typically are I mean I would say it was about 40 percent capacity which usually that place is you know sold out um so you knew you know it didn't feel normal but then you know we were thinking on Wednesday wow this is going to be really eerie and and teams are really going to have to you know, build their own sort of energy without anyone in this building. So then Thursday, we woke up, and, you know, it was around 1045. And we had received an email and all of us um, Big 12 staff, you know, jumped on a call. And so we were told before the media and the fans were that our tournament, the rest of our championships for the men and women's basketball were being canceled. And, you know, at the time, it was emotional. Um, you know, it was a really, you know, a roller coaster of emotions. But I think, too, it was undoubtedly, we all knew it was the right decision with 
how quickly things were starting to turn in the country and listening to, you know, the news and seeing some of these things of, you know, what it was doing in China, what it was doing in Italy. And, you know, we as sports uh, people who work in this profession, we didn't want to add to this problem at hand in our country. And so, you know, I, it was, I want to say thank you really to, you know, all of the leaders in sports that came together to collectively make these decisions so really early on before the spread got very bad in the country. Um, so it was, it was an interesting time, um, something I'll never forget. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just happy that our student athletes and coaches and, and fans, you know, are safe and hopefully everyone's staying home right now and, and following the orders. Do you remember what you were doing when the NBA postponed their season? Yeah, I mean, yeah, we were all, there was a few of us um, together at the arena. We were at the Sprint Center watching practices. And I think at that time, I see the NBA, I mean, they're such a great model of, you know, in everything they do. As soon as that came down, you, you knew how is, you know, if the NBA, these pro athletes that get paid to play sports um, are not going to be out there playing, it, I knew it was going to be shocking if the NCAA and if we as the Big 12 didn't follow suit. Um, I don't remember exactly what I was doing, but I remember we were all at the Sprint Center and we all got that ESPN notification came through and it was just kind of like this silent, surreal um emotion that you're like okay well that's when it felt really real and that's when I'm sure for the student athletes it felt real when you know some of these NBA players started coming forward saying that they had it Um, you know so many of them that they look up to I think it really hit home that this isn't just attacking you know a certain type of people it can get celebrities it can hit pro athletes Um, so yeah I mean where were you when when everything went down? So I was in Vegas, and we actually were in the middle of a game. And I just remember it's like everybody's phones went off at the exact same time because it was just like a complete swirl of information of like the MP- or the NBA just postponed their season. Like it, I w- had so many people ask me, they're like, we have to follow now, right? And I'm like, I have no idea what we're going to do. <laughs> like I wish I had answers, but like I'm focused on this game. But it seemed like every single hit I did for that game, because I do the sidelines for the WAC tournament, was about the coronavirus in some way. Yeah. Talking about the Ivy League and how they suspended their seasons and talking about the NBA. And then it was just like, boom, 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 boom. I remember getting ready to go to bed that Wednesday night. And I was like, I don't even know if I want to go to bed because so much news is continuing to break. And I remember seeing one tweet and somebody put out a list from like 9 a.m. until like 11 p.m. of all the things that had happened that day. And there was some 20 something items on that list. And I was like, holy crap. And like, this is only the beginning. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was it's in just less than 48 hours. Things went from everything being, you know, normal in a sense. I mean, right. We were still taking precautions. We were still wiping things down that, you know, and had Lysol cans everywhere. They had Phillips 66 hand wipes for us when we got there. I mean, definitely that's not normal 
by any sense of the imagination in years prior, but, you know, it was, people weren't, you know, wearing gloves or masks or anything like that, um, you know, going to cancel 48 hours later. So, um, yeah, it, it really took a turn quickly. And, um, you know, it was, like I said, it was the right decision because at the end of the day, you know, the student athlete and coaches safety, uh, is, should be our number one priority and is our number one priority. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird time though. I mean, without sports and, um, you know, I think it's exercising our creativity though, and, and really testing us, uh, to get creative. That's so true. When do you think sports will come back? Oof, you know, it's, it's hard to say. I, I'm so optimistic. Um, so I like to really hope and, and wish for the best. And I think by the end of, you know, and this is just my, my prediction. I think by the end of July, maybe early August, we'll start maybe hopefully seeing some sort of action, whether that's the NBA potentially returning, um, or maybe, I mean, I know golf had just come out and said that the Masters is going to be played in November. So Augusta in November, I mean, that'll be gorgeous, but that's, you know, a lot later than kind of what, what I'd be predicting. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, it's so tough to say. I'm, I'm hopeful that I guess it's end of July, early August, but that's, I guess, just my hopes um, and realistic thought process. I mean, I wish it could be, you know, ultimately next week but right. we all know we all know that that can not happen um so hopefully it's sooner than later but you know i think the decisions that will be made will be made with everyone's health and safety in mind and you know it's it's amazing you know all of these people that are really just taking in all of these information at the highest level and making these decisions um you know in in the right way and I think they deserve a lot of credit for, you know, the hard work that that's going on right now behind the scenes. Yeah, I cannot agree more. And to all the healthcare workers too, just I see videos of nurses and doctors and I have one of my cousins is an ER doctor down in Austin, Texas. Wow. And he was trying to find a mask that he could wear. And so my boyfriend's family is in a small town in Kansas and he had to, his dad, my boyfriend's dad, went to a local store in Kansas to see if they had any masks and he got the last one. And they wow. live in a very small town. So to like be the last one to get the mask and then ship it down to Austin, Texas, because they don't have any, my heart just breaks for all the medical uh, care people in the world right now. I just... I can't even imagine, you know, we're all over here like, oh, we miss sports so much, but it's such a bigger picture. Oh my gosh. Yes. Like it's those medical professionals right now are heroes and the sacrifices that they're making to be away from their families and, um, you know, just all these long hours I can't even imagine and to risk their own health and safety, you know, to protect others. I mean, they are the ultimate heroes right now in all of this uh, and it's world health worker week actually um is it yes so um yesterday it began and you know to be honest i'm not sure if this is something that happens every year or if this is just specific to this year um with all that's going on but there's like a hashtag whw week um that's kind of going around so 
you know, I, I encourage people to, to really, you know, give, um, you know, their thanks and, and thoughts and uh, towards all health workers everywhere, because right now they are making the ultimate sacrifice to protect that is so true yeah a huge shout out to all of them we we are forever in debt to all of you who are putting your lives on the line uh let's move off the coronavirus so let's try and keep this on a positive note going forward i agree um let's talk about your jalen hurts interview uh big 12 championship right i mean you just started over there at the big 12 what was that experience like so it was my third day of work. Um, literally, I had just started that Thursday. The Big 12 championship for football was that Saturday in Dallas, AT&T Stadium, Oklahoma against Baylor. It was a game, you know, for the ages. Um, such a great game. Such an exciting atmosphere. That place was rocking. And, you know, for a little bit, you, you thought that Baylor had the uh, the chance to come and upset Oklahoma's season. And then, I mean, the Sooners worked their magic. And, I mean, so my first interview for the Big 12 was Jalen Hurts. Pretty surreal. Um, you asked me if I get nervous for interviews. I would say, like, walking out onto the 50 in the middle of AT&T Stadium surrounded by all of those fans and then all of the media that just rushed the Oklahoma sideline and then realizing like I was getting Jalen Hurts right after Holly Rowe finished with him for TV. That was a nerve wracking moment um, for me, I would definitely say. And, um, but you know, he was great. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see what his future holds with the NFL draft here and just, you know, a few, a few days, about a week away. Um, so yes, that was definitely an unforgettable interview, an unforgettable moment. And, you know, hope to, you know, be part of more, you know, football, uh, post-game interviews. Hopefully, hopefully we have plenty of those this fall. How interesting is it going to be for the NFL draft to be all over the phone? Yeah, I, it's, it's going to be, um, it's going to be different. I mean, but I, I also think just, it's so cool to see how far that technology has come and that we have the ability to do these sort of virtual drafts. Um, I wonder, you know, I think it'll be interesting and I would love hopefully to get some big 12, um, you know, players either before or after it's my hopes to do some sort of interviews about, just kind of how the process goes and, and how different it is to kind of hear their insight um, on all of this. And definitely happy it's still able to take place. And, you know, these uh, athletes are able to move on and, and hear their names called, although it'll be in a much different way. But um, it'll be, yeah, I guess, you know, huge thanks to technology that we're able to do something like this. It really is interesting just how far, like, we've come with technology. Because if you think about it, they are putting on full broadcast. Like ESPN right now is putting on a full broadcast and everyone's at home. Yeah. I mean. And the picture looks good. The audio is clean. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like 10 years ago that could never have happened. Yeah. No. And I think, I also don't think two people a month ago would have, or two months ago would have known. I think it's taken some creativity and, you know, taken probably a few different tries of different things to to get it right but you know the their dedication to serve sports fans everywhere I mean it hasn't stopped for them um, and you know I'm trying to 
kind of have a similar mindset over here and what what can I still do that's you know remote from my home and um, I have a pretty good setup with Zoom to be able to do interviews with student athletes and coaches that I was doing long before this actually had started. It was something I was doing at the Patriot League when I couldn't get to campus of being able to do studio interviews while not being on campus. So I'm just trying to, you know, take that same sort of technology and apply it now just from my home. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what we do because being in the WAC and it's in Denver, we have no schools around us. Right. You have to get on a plane to go to any of the schools in the conference. So we always do all of ours through Skype. And it's just funny now to have to like watch that happen in uh, the national networks and such. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're all, you know, facing the same challenges and, and same struggles and making do with what we have. Morgan, one of the main things that I love so much about watching your work is the way you speak and you have such great pace when you do it. Uh, how did you get to that point? I am somebody who I want to spit out all my ideas very fast and I talk very, very fast and it's something that I continuously work on to slow down. So what have you done to kind of help yourself with that great pace? All right. First of all, don't be so hard on yourself. I think <laughs> over this course of this call, you know, you have been very eloquent in your your pace and speaking. Well, but, thank you. <laughs> but thank you for for admiring, um, you know, my my delivery. And I think it's really come with a lot of practice, a lot of reps. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever been one to really speak too quickly. I mean, maybe at first when I was um, first starting out and nervous, but I think if anything, one of the things that I've actually been working on is to speed up my delivery um, at times. So, you know, it's trying to not have this flat, you know, monotone pace, but you know, if you bring a fact or you bring a big stat um, to kind of emphasize that stat and then come with the rest of your information a little more quickly. So I think being able to have a variance in your pace um, is very, you know, important because that just makes you sound a little bit more engaging. Um, and so, yeah, I think, but it, again, at the end of the day, it really just comes back to finding your voice as a broadcaster and what works for you. And I think a lot of the times I've had a few calls with young women during the stretch of this, um, you know, stay at home quarantine period that have reached out to me asking for advice. One thing that I've told them to do that someone had told me years ago was to take a written piece, right? So if you read something on The Athletic or New York Times, whatever it may be, you know, read that piece, read that story through, whatever it's on, sports or news, doesn't matter, and then, you know, comprehend it and then, you know, write out bullets how you would write and talk for television. So you can take, you know, a written piece of news and, and just pretend like you're reporting that news with those same facts, do it in your mirror, you know, do it with a GoPro or your iPhone camera or on your computer camera and watch yourself back. Why did you like the way that you said something that you did there? Or maybe, you know, why do you not like the way that you just sounded there? And I think, you know, when you can watch yourself back, which is sometimes so hard to do when you start out as a young broadcaster hearing your own voice and still sometimes it's difficult for me to do, but I think that's really one way that's going to help you get a lot better. So um, I think with pace and delivery, you, you just really have to watch yourself back and find your voice and find what works for you. Who told you that? 
I can't remember. Actually, I think it was, it was probably one of my professors at Mizzou. Um, if I had to guess, it was probably one of my mentors, Kent Collins. Um, he was, he worked at the Missouri School of Journalism and he's now since retired, but he is like a legend around there. Um, and he still is involved, still lives in Columbia, Missouri. I think in one of our capstones, that was one of the things that he told us. So, yeah, I mean, if any, you know, whoever's listening that is wanting to go into this industry and is trying to improve their honor voice, I think that has to be one of the best, you know, pieces of advice that I've gotten and done because it's so easy. You can do it right now. That can be one of the things that if you're working on to improve yourself um, during this time of, of staying at home in quarantine, if you have a little bit of extra downtime, use it to, to improve yourself. It's so true. I actually got told that advice as well uh, okay. from a – he works for Altitude TV. His name is Todd Romero. Uh, he covers the Nuggets out here uh, in Denver, and he told me that. And so I was wondering if, nice. like, there might be somehow, like, similarities or if that's, like, info nowadays because when I was in school, nobody told me that. No. And right. I wish they would have. I wish we would have had, like, in, like, an assignment, quote-unquote, where we had to, like, talk into a mirror and watch ourselves and, like – or into a camera – besides like extracurricular activities I didn't have anything in school where I really had to do that unless I was doing it for like our school tv station right and I mean at that point like you're live you're doing it live and really it was you know getting those reps without you were doing it but you weren't really getting practice where no one could see you and where you could mess up and luckily when we were students we did have a little bit more of that flexibility to mess up and flub up or younger than, but yeah, I think that's such great advice. I love that you've heard it too from somewhere else. So yeah, we need to keep circulating that around for these up and coming broadcasters. Definitely. So I actually had gotten some questions too from some students in school. And one awesome. of them would be, what would be the best advice that you would have for somebody who's about to graduate this spring? So I think for people graduating this spring, um, granted, this is a very interesting time too, because we don't exactly know how the hiring is going to go in a normal year. Yeah. I was, if if things, if everything was normal and if TV stations um, and digital jobs were hiring as normal, we'll, we'll say that, Um, you know, I think it's, it's what I had said earlier about just applying for everything because you may apply for one job and, you know, you may get a little bit through the job interview process. They might not want you, but they might know someone that does. And so I think it's keeping in mind just how small this industry is. Um, I think another thing that people can be doing, so we're in this April time frame, um, is just starting to build relationships, reach out to people that you like their work uh, and, and pick their brains. I mean, I think right now a lot of us that work in sports, while we are staying busy and um, you know working our jobs, we have a little bit more time than normal because I'm not you know I'm not traveling on the weekends like I normally would for work. So I've been home uh, a lot more and we do have more time. So reaching out and just asking for advice and starting to build relationships with people um, can can help you down the career path, whether it's for your first job or your third job or fourth job. Um, so I think those two things is applying for any jobs that you see, but also just, you know, if you don't 
get those jobs, um, build the relationships with those hiring people, and then build relationships with, you know, outside of the, the jobs that you're applying for as well. That's what I was going to say. Although this is like a very unfortunate time, a lot of people have free time right now and a lot of people are looking for things to do. So reach out to people, uh, you know, just to set up a phone call, even to talk like you mentioned, and then maybe in a couple of months you can send them your reel and be like, hey, like I'm just about to graduate. Is there any way you can check this out, see what I can do to get better, et cetera? Yes, I would echo that 100%. Um, I thought of one other thing too. Um, you know, we had talked earlier about, you know, being – always learning new things. So I think, you know, during this time too, if you're not for those that are still in college, uh, for those that aren't as familiar with the Adobe editing suite, like whether it's After Effects, Premiere Pro, Photoshop, you know, try and just do some YouTube tutorials. Um, that's even what I've been doing in my time. I just built some new animated graphics for us for the Big 12. And if you would ask me a year ago, if I, you know, knew what I was doing in After Effects at the level that I'm doing it right now, I've, I would have been shocked that, you know, a year from now that I, I could be doing these things. So I've tried to teach myself some new tricks and some things off camera to make myself more well-rounded. So, you know, for someone that wants to be a reporter in your first job, you're still going to have to do a lot of editing. I'm in my third job and I'm still doing a lot of editing. So I think being familiar and comfortable with the Adobe suite um, if you're not already graduating seniors seem to be definitely get familiar and comfortable with with editing. Well, Morgan, we have been on the call for now an hour and I cannot thank you enough. We I feel like we still didn't even touch on a lot of things that we had talked about. So I would love to have you on again in the near future. But I want to keep this relatively short for anybody who will be listening. Uh, but is there any way that people can reach out to you to answer questions to have them or have you look at their reels, etc.? Yeah, definitely. First of all, thanks again so much, Rachel, for having me. This was so much fun. And, um, you know, I would say, feel free, you can add me on Twitter or Instagram. I check my DMs often. So feel free to DM me, send me a link to your reel, send me your email, and we can get connected through social media that way. Um, and I'm always more than happy. I love critiquing reels because I know how many people did it for me, especially early on in my career. And, you know, I think a lot of this industry is paying it forward once you get to a certain point and you're able to do that and offer critique and criticism. So I would love nothing more than to help out younger journalists. So definitely feel free to reach out on my Twitter. It's Morgan underscore Uber or my Instagram is just at Morgan Uber. I will leave those in the description box below. Uh, and Morgan is good about checking her DMs. Little fun fact, Morgan and I did not know each other before this week, before I decided to reach out to her. And I feel like we kind of have a little bit of a bond between the people we know and just the experiences we've had. So I feel like I've gained a friend out of this, Morgan. So thank yes, you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I could not agree more. I think it's important to really build connections and relationships. Uh, like we've talked so much about in this industry, you know, lucky to you well now Rachel and excited for um, our talks to continue offline yes absolutely and I will definitely be having you on here again hopefully once sports kind of start up and we can you know brainstorm maybe a little bit of ideas that we can come up with too so yes awesome. sounds great in the meantime stay healthy and safe and um, you know hoping all the best for all of your family and friends and um, thanks to your cousin, too, who's an ER doctor during this time. Yeah, same to you. I hope everybody stays safe. You stay safe. Let's get sports back up so everybody stay home. Let's get back to our normal lives. 
yes, we want sports back and, um, but ultimately wishing for, you know, the health and safety of everyone out there. So thanks again for having me and we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Morgan. I loved having Morgan on. I think she has such an incredible path and great advice for any young broadcasters. I hopefully will have Morgan on later in the future. As for now, I hope everybody is staying safe. I hope everybody is staying healthy, stay inside. Let's continue to fight this. Hopefully I was able to cure your boredom for a little bit with this hour-long podcast. And again, my name is Rachel Vigil. This is the Sports and Stilettos Podcast.